So we're going to continue in, uh, in our series in Exodus. We're doing chapter 13. And this, it's very difficult when you have a whole chapter to speak on. Because it's, for a pastor, it can be like a kid in a candy store. You can't decide what you're supposed to, what part you're supposed to emphasize, where you should. I mean, I would have loved to spend time with Joseph's bones. But we're not going to have time to take care of Joseph's bones today. But uh, it's just very, there's, there's just so much. Um, but um, we're going to do what we can. And we're going to see if we can do it in an allotted reasonable amount of time and we'll go from there so what I'd like to do if you'd open your Bibles if you have them it'll be projected behind me uh, we're going to read um, Exodus 13 and then we'll pray and ask the Lord for for his guidance as we look at this <clears throat> let me get a drink first it's a whole chapter you remember I have to read a whole chapter I need to I need to get a drink. All right, here we go. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at his appointed time from year to year, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all the first, um, all the first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time you come to come, your sons ask you, boy, thank you, Dave. What does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. 
For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeemed. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones up with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of uh, uh, in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Let's pray. So, Father, as we look at this passage of your scripture, we do see a lot, a lot that has taken place, a lot that has happened. There are many, many lessons that we can learn from your word. So I pray, Lord, that you would highlight to us those things which we need in our own lives. Lord, that will better serve us so that we can better serve you. So help us today. Help me as I share. So I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of this is The Powerful Hand of God. I thought it was a good title, so I chose it. And, uh, and whether we get too much into that or not, I don't know. But in this, this passage, we're, we're seeing that God, God says he, he delivered the people of Israel by his strong hand. Strong meaning powerful. He was a very powerful God. He did powerful things. And now he's going to lead with his powerful hand, and God is trying to establish something here. This whole section, this whole chapter is God establishing something for the people of Israel. He's also trying to establish something for us as well in our own lives. So we want to look at this carefully and see what we can glean from this. So my main point, the powerful hand of God delivers us, redeems us, and leads us on what he has prepared for us. The powerful hand of God delivers us, redeems us, and leads us onto what he has prepared for us. So we're going to look at three different things here. We're going to look at remembering, remembering our deliverance. That's an important aspect that God really felt he needed to emphasize to the people. So we're going to look at remembering our deliverance, understanding your redemption, we want to understand what in the world redemption is, and let's figure it out. And then the last uh, point is following, not wandering. Okay? So, let's see what happens. First point, remembering your deliverance. Verse 3, 
Let me read that again. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Now we talk about remembering a lot. Even when we, we do communions, we, we do this, we do communion, we, we talk about how we are to remember what Jesus has done for us. We're always talking about remembering we need to remember this. We need to remember that. It's important to remember. Uh, God's given us minds to remember. He's given us that ability to do that. So some of us remember things better than others. Some of us have selective memories, but we're supposed to remember. The word remember defined is to cause. It's a, it's a word that, that means to cause yourself to remember to do things that will help you to remember, to be proactive, to be deliberate in trying to remember something. Our passage is telling us to remember something very important, and that is to remember the day of your deliverance. Remember the day of your deliverance. This is important for the nation of Israel, but it's also important for us. We need to remember our day of deliverance. The Lord says, don't forget. So he established the whole aspect of Passover, creating the Passover, the time of Passover, the Passover meal. To, for help, this is to help them remember what is going on, to remind the children of Israel of their deliverance, of how God is the one that did it. It wasn't something that they did. It was his strong hand, his powerful hand. Plus, He's talking about how this needs to be passed on to the next generation as well. It was the beginning, this is really the beginning of a very long-lasting relationship between God and his people. This is why this is so important. There's something that's happening. God's developing something here. And he doesn't want them to forget it. Now, for the Christian, this has meaning to it as well. It's really the same thing. We need to remember that God delivered us that you were a sinner saved by the grace and mercy of God, that you've now become a child of God for the glory of God with a relationship with God that is ongoing and to enjoy him forever. So there's a couple of things we need to remember. Remember that God delivered you from something. He delivered you from something. We need to remember that. We forget that. We also, we have to remember that God has delivered us to something. We don't stay in the past and we don't ignore the past. We want to realize what God has done as he delivered us from sinner to a child of God. I mean, that's what God has done for his people. But sometimes we forget. It's easy to forget these things. It's easy for us to... Probably the best way to explain it is things start to lose their meaning. Um, we still do the same things at times. Like uh, if someone is celebrating Passover, they might be going through the motions. They're doing Passover. But they're not necessarily remembering what went on and what the reason for that is. Christmas, the same way. We do all kinds of things for Christmas. But do we do Christmas or do we remember why we're celebrating Christmas? If we forget what's behind 
Christmas, we forget passages like Isaiah 9 and how important that is. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We forget the story of Luke chapter 2. We forget Mary and Joseph and all that they went through and Jesus being born and angels coming and shepherds and wise men and we forget all of those things because we end up doing Christmas. We get caught up into the, the different aspects of what the holiday is and we get into our own personal traditions as well. What is the meaning behind what we do? That's a question for you. Since we're entering into the holiday season, let's look at family traditions for a little bit. I don't want to pick apart your family traditions, but do your children know why you celebrate the things that you do? Do you honestly think that they know? Have you ever explained them to them or, or do you just keep them yourself? Maybe they're personal, spiritual things that you do during the holidays, but you never share it with anybody else. So they don't know why you do the things you do. Maybe the kids have fun with it. Maybe everything goes very smoothly. Maybe there's lots of presents under the tree. Maybe there's ugly sweaters everywhere. But do they know? Do they remember? Have you told them? Or do they not have a clue as to why you're celebrating Christmas? How do you assure that things are passed down? In verse 8, I think it tells us. In verse 8, it says, you shall tell, you shall, okay? You shall tell your son on that day. It is because of what the Lord, now look at this, did for me when I came out of Egypt. Not what happened to Moses, what, not what happened to everybody else, but what happened to you? What shall you tell them what the Lord did for you as an individual? It's personal. It's important. It's your experience. So I have another question for you. Do you ever tell your children what God did for you? Or is it just kind of a fleeting little thing? They kind of know that you believe in God. They know that God's something. Or do they know the details about how you came to know Jesus? how you became a Christian, that you were a sinner, and that they are too, that Jesus has forgiven you because of what Jesus did. Do you need to tell them how God works in your life each day? What's going on in your life? How he's provided for you and changed you and made you more like Christ? And how he's still working. Do you share what God is showing you through the word to your children? Do they know what's going on? You know, Deuteronomy 11:19. it says, teach your kids. This is my translation of it. Teach your kids. Talk to them when they're sitting down at home, when they're walking, before they go to bed, when they get up in the morning. We need to be telling them how good God is. It reminds them. It reminds us we don't forget when God is at the forefront. If we aren't talking, we're missing opportunities. We're missing opportunities to pass information down to our children of who God is and your relationship with God. 
to share the gospel with our children, to testify of his goodness as well. You know, traditions, we used to, we used to, we used to go to the candlelight service. And of course, in our church way back when I was little, we used real candles. So that was a joy for a little kid. You know, we got to have candles. What we used to be able to do, and I think I've told you this before, we used to hold the candle really tight in our hands and it would get soft and then you could mold it and bend it and shape it. And so you'd have this curly cue candle with a little light on the top. And we, it was a great time. But what the meaning was for me was it's, it's Christmas Eve. I get to play with candles. We want to tell our kids why we do things, or is it just like they're playing with candles? We need to keep going with that, grow in that, and help our kids. It's for your family. Another thing God wants to teach us, he wants us to understand in this passage, he wants us to understand our redemption. He wants you to understand your redemption. This is my second point. Throughout Scripture, we're taught about sin and judgment, bondage and deliverance, forgiveness and redemption. The word redeem is uh, defined as ransom or rescue or deliver. Uh, if you just look at the dictionary tr uh, version of, the, of what redeem means, it's to compensate for the fault or bad aspects of something. Well, that would be me, I guess. Or to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. See, God is a redeeming God. He's a God who redeems the people. In the first two verses of our chapter, in chapter 13, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and a beast, is mine. The Lord says, God made a statute that all the firstborn males belonged to God. That was what he was doing. See, God's using, again, he's using this to remind them, but he's also teaching them about redemption. He wants them to remember about deliverance. He wants them to understand that there was a need for that deliverance and how that deliverance was to come about. Um, the reason why he chose the firstborn was that Egypt paid quite, quite a cost to redeem the people of Israel. I mean, all of their firstborn, people and animals, died. That was quite an understanding. He doesn't want them to forget that. That's why he's bringing up the firstborn here. Don't forget the cost that was paid for your deliverance. So when the firstborn first, uh, was born, it was God's. It was his. So what about the son? So the animals were his. If there was a, a sheep, the firstborn of the sheep, they'd sacrifice the sheep to God, and then it was God's sheep. What do you do with the sun. Believe it or not, the sun kind of falls similar into the same category as the donkey. It's kind of strange. Verses 11 through 13, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that the first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals are the, uh, that are males are to be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey 
okay? Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Okay? Jeez. Every firstborn a man among your sons you shall redeem. Now, the reason why you couldn't redeem, uh, you couldn't sacrifice a donkey was a donkey was an unclean animal. You could not use a donkey as a sacrifice to the Lord. The firstborn of the donkey was God's, but you couldn't sacrifice it. So if you wanted to keep the donkey, you had to give a sacrifice with a lamb, or you had to kill it, one or the other. It still belonged to the Lord. But if you felt that it was of value, you could redeem it, and you would sacrifice a lamb in its place. So basically, you're buying it back. That's what redeeming is. You're buying it back. You're paying the price to the Lord for it. Now, regarding sons, we know sometimes that they do act, we, I should say we, I'm a son. We do act a little like donkeys at times, okay? I will... I will attest to that. But I am a middle-born, not a first-born, so we're not quite as hard-headed. But I'll be in trouble when I get home. (laughs) It doesn't talk about women, Roxanne. It's talking about men here. Roxanne's a first-born. But you you were supposed to treat the children, the sons, different than the donkeys. The first one that was born was God's. It was to serve him. They wanted him to serve him. Or you could pay the price and buy him back. Uh, In Orthodox Judaism, I wasn't even going to tell this, in Orthodox Judaism, uh, when a first son is born, they, they take, in certain sects of Judaism, they take five silver coins and present that as the offering, the redeeming price, and they get their, it has to be solid silver coins. Why it's five? That's a story for another day. Anyway, but you could redeem your son for a price. Um, The sacrifice was given to God. um, And you see that, the important thing about that, and the, the sacrifice given, is you see that life is worth something. Life costs something. And it's important to see that. And if we don't see that, we're... We, we devalue life. We devalue our own life. Life costs something. To redeem something costs something. And that's important for us to remember. So God is leading up to something here. He's, it, really, in his word, and his word always points to something about redemption, about dealing with people, about dealing with sin, about delivering from situations. So he's leading us up to something here. And we, we needed something to redeem all of us. We needed some, something to happen. We're not born being God's children. We're born going to destruction. That's what happens. So we need something. So God sent his son. Jesus was the sacrifice for our sin. God has provided our redemption. Jesus was the price that was paid. Basically, we're just a bunch of donkeys that need to be redeemed, is what it comes down to. Or we will be destroyed. A price has to be paid for our salvation. Jesus was that price. 
when we ask forgiveness for our sins and his sacrifice, his, his death was applied to our life. His blood was applied to our life. His payment was applied to our debt, and we're his. Now we are God's. He bought us. We don't buy ourselves back. We're redeemed. We are God's children, and we are to live for his glory. We are in his service. Paul said it very well in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't know if you remember the old hymn, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Redeemed by his excellent mercy, his child and forever I am. We are, when we are Christians, when we have accepted Christ as our Savior, we are the children of God. We've been redeemed. He has bought us. We are his. And we don't have to worry about that anymore. We can live to the glory of God for his purpose, for his mission, for his ministry. Lastly, I think God also wants us to understand something else. Once we become Christians, what's supposed to happen? Once we become the children of God, and we are considered, considered children of Abraham, once we become the family of God, we need to know how to live our lives and what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. So the third point is following, not wandering. The people of Israel needed to learn how to follow. We can have deliverance in God. Our life can be redeemed through the sacrifice that Jesus made. So in light of that, what is next? So let's look at verses 17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord, listen, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart, did not depart from before the people. God knows people. He knows us. He knows your innermost secrets. Don't think he doesn't. He knows your innermost secrets. You can't hide anything from God. He knows your idiosyncrasies. He knows your sin. He knows your personality quirks, which I've got plenty. He knows us in every way. But I'm glad he knows me that well. I am glad that God knows me that well because it allows me to put a greater trust in him. If he knows me that well, I can trust God to take care of me. 
You know, the, the old hymn, we, we sing it, Come Thou Fount. It says, oh, to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You know, it's a couple of things we're gonna look here first. Let thy goodness like a fetter. A fetter is a chain. And we were singing about, it's interesting, we were singing all about this, you know, deliverance and these chains that bind us and, and we're free from these. And here the, the hymnist is saying, um, let thy goodness like a fetter. I want to be chained to God. I want to be free from sin and I want to be chained to God. Something that's bound that's bound to you. Rather than being in bondage of sin, which is our past, we don't want to be in bondage to sin any longer. We don't even want to be in bondage to the experiences of the past. If you have experiences in the past that you feel you're weighed down with, God wants to free you from those things. Whether it was a bullying thing that happened in school or a bad relationship, abuse, bad choices, mistakes, unforgiveness, family issues, whatever it is, God wants to free his people from that kind of bondage because in Christ we can have all hope. We can be free of all of those things. We're not supposed to be bound by those things any longer. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Secondly, the thing we want to know here is we're a wandering bunch. We are a wandering bunch of people. I'll, I'll bet, I'll bet during this message, your mind has wandered at least 10 times. Some of you are saying, when is this gonna be over? And maybe you're thinking about lunch, which is, I was, my mind wandered while I was up here and I was thinking about lunch, no, just kidding. Our desires wander. Sometimes our hearts wander. God, in his infinite wisdom, set, this is what he did, he set the people of Israel on a path. He set their course. He was their navigator. And he set them on a direction. And the direction seemed very illogical. But he set them on a direction for the purpose, and it was the right path because he knew. If they ran into tough times, they'd want to go back to Egypt. God knew even though the people had been in bondage over 400 years, if things got tough, they would want to go back to poor living conditions. They'd rather have slavery. They'd rather have beatings. They'd rather sacrifice their relationship with God than to go through tough times. So God took them the long way around to teach them. It was to teach them how to be led so sometimes when we're going down this course of life that doesn't seem to be going in the right direction whatsoever, maybe God's trying to teach you something. How to follow him, how to follow God. We're to do that. We're supposed to follow God. They had a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And you know what that means? It means that God was with them the whole time. God stayed with them the whole time. 
God doesn't just let us go. It's, it's like, I don't know, elementary school was a long time ago. But if recess happened, when we had recess, as soon as the teacher would open the door outside, all of a sudden it was like, Bleh! and these kids were just everywhere. They just took off. Some were jump roping, some were playing kickball, some were starting their Fortune 500 company. It was, they were just everywhere. They just wandered around aimlessly, doing all kinds of things. There was no path whatsoever for them. They just scattered. See, God wants followers. God wants us to follow. Have you ever played, I'm dating myself, have you ever played follow the leader? Now, this was a riveting game <laughs> as, a, as a boy. Follow the leader. Now, I looked it up. I, I knew the rules of the game, but I looked it up to see actually what the internet would say about the game follow the leader. I'm going, I don't even know if they'll, they'll know it, but uh, they said players, okay, players first choose a leader or head of the line, okay? And the remaining players, those are the followers, all line up behind the leader, okay? The leader then moves around and all the players have to mimic the leader's actions. Any player who fail to follow or mimic the leader are out of the game. It was a riveting game, yes. Now, life today, society today, the world today is like a million games, more than a million, millions of games of follow the leader, except most people are following the wrong leader. We need to follow God, not people, not philosophies, because if we don't follow God, we're just wandering. We're just wandering around. Or we'll want to go back to Egypt. Or we'll want to go back into bondage. We've got to remember this. God will never leave us or forsake us. Too often we wish we could have a big cloud that was right there and he would be leading us around. We'd like help with those decisions. We'd like writing on the wall on school and work and family and health. Too often we wonder where God is, but he's there. He's there. God has provided everything we need to follow him. He's provided his word. He's provided his spirit. He's provided his church to help us along the way. He's provided all we need. God has delivered the Christian he has redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. Tell people what God did in your life. You were bought with a price, the price of Christ's sacrifice. You were a sinner saved by grace. Now we need to follow him. Wholeheartedly be led. Lay down the old things. Take on the new. Be free from bondage. Be free from judgment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. 
Lord, there are so many things you have done for us. It's, it's overwhelming. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us as a people to realize, to remember, to understand the whole aspect of deliverance, the whole aspect of our redemption. And help us, Lord, to humbly come before you and to follow you with our whole hearts so that we can fully fulfill what you have for our lives, to share the gospel, to bring people the message of what you've done for us. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.